Welcome to the Wealth Building Made Simple podcast with Philip Washington Jr. Today, Philip talks about Bitcoin with Trey Sellers with Unchained Capital. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. And now, here's Philip. We are back with another episode of Wealth Building Made Simple, and I have a recurring guest. I think this is the third time or fourth time, but we got Trey Sellers from Unchained Capital. What's going on, Trey? Not much. Uh, We were just talking about how busy things are for us at Unchained. We got a lot of uh, interest coming in with prospective clients who are, you know, really interested in Bitcoin, holding their own holding their own Bitcoin, really taking control of, of their wealth there. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's a bear market out there, but uh, vibes are high and we're just trying to help people to secure their wealth in the best possible way. Awesome. Awesome. And I, I'm going to do a recap for, for people who are new to the podcast that are unaware of what Bitcoin is. If you don't mind, can you give a short explanation of what Bitcoin is and, and how it's slightly different than like the other digital assets that people lump into one category yeah sure um well money is a protocol right it's a an agreement that we have uh in society to find a way to uh, communicate value to one another over time and space Uh, and bitcoin is just another monetary protocol but it's a special monetary protocol in that nobody controls it uh which is unlike the fiat world, dollars and euros um, and and other forms of money that are out there that are kind of controlled by banks and governments. Um, And it's fully digital, which is uh, different than something like gold, which has historically been uh, a very good store of value over, over a long period of time and was used as the primary money across the globe for thousands of years. Um, But because it's digital, it allows you to do things uh, that you can't do with gold. Like you can send it across the world almost instantly and for very little cost. Uh, and you can fully verify that the supply of Bitcoin that is out there has not been manipulated or expanded. Um, it is perfectly capped at 21 million Bitcoin. That's divisible down to 100 million uh, units called Satoshis. Um, and, you know, as you can already tell, these are properties that are not shared by gold. They're not shared by the fiat world. Uh, if you want to send a wire, it's going to be very expensive. It's a black box. You can't see it. You can't verify it. Uh, if you want to send gold across the world, um, you know, you're going to have to verify that what you're receiving is actual real gold. And if it's any large amount, uh, you're going to have to trust some other company to get it there safely. Um, and so, you know, Bitcoin is really well positioned to take a large share of the world's wealth uh, in terms of its store value properties and its uh, advantages as a medium of exchange uh, and as a unit of account, given that it's strictly limited in supply. Um, And and as people start to realize that, uh, they will continue to put more and more of their 
savings and their their store of value into Bitcoin uh, at the expense of other assets like equities and bonds and real estate, which have traditionally been the way that people secure their savings. Um, how, how is it different than than other cryptocurrencies? Well, and, and you know, what? I'm I'm a, I'm a pause there because I want to yeah, delineate. Yeah, I want to delineate and start going back and forth on what you said because you said a, you said a couple different things, right? And 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 one of the things that I'm that I am I've really been into is just like like concepts that seem difficult and hard for us to understand are really not that technically difficult is it's just amazing how hard it is to break preconceived biases you know what i mean because everything every everything you said makes complete sense and i know some people are still going uh this sounds complicated you know uh you know digital money digital gold like like why is that important but like you know where i'm going is you basically communicated money is just communicating information between time and space, period, right? I mean, at the, at the core of what money is, it's just me and you having a conversation um, and transferring value back and forth. I mean, would you would you, would you you simplify it? I mean, you still simplify it. Yeah, that's, that's I, the, I agree with you. And, you know, as with any other communication medium, you want to make sure that the signal is strong and uninterrupted by outside forces. Uh, and so when you translate that to the concept of money, you are communicating value. You want to make sure that there's not noise introduced into that value communication system. And some examples of noise are the supply of money being arbitrarily expanded or controlled by a government, by a series of banks uh, that are, are very powerful and have the ability to essentially print their own money. If you are communicating value to me uh, in the form of exchanging money for a good or service, um, I need to know that when I'm receiving that money uh, or you're receiving that money, that it's not going to be diluted over time if I hold on to it, that I'm able to uh, exchange that in the future at some point in time for some other good or service um, that I don't necessarily know what it, what that's going to be in the future right um th this this value transmission system needs to be very clean you need to not introduce noise into the system uh and when other people control it they have an incentive to expand the money supply they have an incentive to introduce noise to the benefit of themselves to the benefit of the people who are connected to them their friends um and and other powerful interests um, and that's what we've seen, right? You see this in the form of bailouts for uh, companies and banks uh, and institutions that make mistakes with their capital that would otherwise cause them to lose uh, their business, uh, lose their customer base, lose a whole bunch of money and value and have that capital go into the hands of more capable people. That doesn't happen when there are these people that can introduce noise into the system in the form of a bailout. They can pardon the mistakes of those people by just conjuring up new money and giving it to them. Uh, and the only reason those people are in a position to do that is because they have the power to influence the people who can print that money. Um, and so Bitcoin is the complete opposite of that. Nobody has the ability to expand the supply of Bitcoin. It is perfectly scarce, set at 21 million units, um, again, that are divisible into 100 million subunits called Satoshis. Um, 
But there is nobody who can introduce new Bitcoin into the system, who can introduce that noise into that value communication protocol uh, like you can with with fiat. Even gold has this problem to to a large extent. Um, you know, there is new gold mined into the world every single day, every single year. The supply increases by about two percent. Um, that two percent doesn't sound like a whole lot, but over time, you're losing a lot of value. Over a fifty year period, you're losing a significant amount of value if you're just holding onto that gold uh, as a percentage of the total supply of gold goes higher. Um, and and that is a drain on your wealth. It's a drag to the amount of savings that you can store, um, you know, relative to the goods and services that you want to be buying. Uh, on a daily basis. Uh, and so that's what I mean by this value communication protocol and this um, you know signal to noise ratio when you choose a monetary medium like Bitcoin that can't be manipulated relative to something like dollars, uh, fiat currency, and even gold to some extent that can be manipulated and the supply can increase. It's funny, as you were talking about the noise, I, I imagine, I imagine, uh, my my youngest child when I'm talking to his mother and he wants my attention that's just in the background daddy 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 I was like yes that's that's the yeah thing. I deal with that all the time <laughs> it's it's noise introduced into your conversation <laughs> there's, there's a lot of value lost in, in that conversation uh, because you're you're distracted right it's it's being scythe your your attention and the the you know words and meaning that you're trying to communicate gets siphoned off in the direction of your child there. Yeah. And, and I even think about the unintended noise, right? Cause it was a, I don't, I don't think it was a crypto firm that shared this video. It just was a, you know, somebody being inspirational, but it was like, a, it was like a line of like 10 men. And the first guy did a dance move. The first person did a dance move and everybody had their back turned to him. So then when the person that was facing him learned it, he turned around, tapped the other guy on the back, and did the dance move, right? And he slightly messed it up, right? Obviously, by the time they got to the last guy, like, it was nothing like the first move um, that was done. So I think about that, too. I go, oh, like, even the intermediaries in the middle that mean well, you know, like, they're just going to introduce noise on accident if 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 you have to have a, a human involved, right? Because, like, our memories are terrible. <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think what you're kind of hitting on is is you know all of the financial transactions that we need to make in the current monetary system using dollars have intermediaries they have middlemen they have counterparty risk uh and all of those people are taking a cut hmm. of the value that you're trying to transmit so when you go to the grocery store and you buy a gallon of milk and you swipe your credit card well, there's a 3% or 2% fee associated with that credit card swipe. Uh, and the reason for that is because of chargebacks and the ability for you to, for you to claw back that money if you were to dispute that charge on your credit card. And uh, the grocery store is paying that charge to Visa or to MasterCard or American Express um, for the privilege of being able to accept that medium of exchange, uh, but they're passing that cost onto you as the consumer um, so that they're not going to bear it, right? And so ultimately, you're paying two or three percent more for the milk that you uh, need to buy because there's this layer of fees uh, embedded into the system and the way that it works. Uh, one of the beautiful things about Bitcoin, you know, we were talking about it 
the advantages of it as a store value, which really has to come first before you get to this payment uh, application. Um, there, there's a lot of new stuff coming online around the payments use case, uh, but you know more and more people need to to hold on to Bitcoin before we actually get there. But there are a lot of advantages to using Bitcoin as a medium of exchange uh, in that you don't have to have all of these intermediaries in between you and the person that you're trying to pay all taking a cut of that value. You can pay them directly. You don't have to rely on those intermediaries. And because of that, the cost of that transaction trends towards zero, right? And so just by doing that, by eliminating, you know, using credit uh, and credit cards as part of your day-to-day value transfer mechanism, um, the, the world can save you know, maybe up to two or three percent of the value that we're transacting on a day-to-day basis. Uh, that's a significant amount of productivity that could be used elsewhere to build capital goods and and really build the economy uh, to to make life better for us. Um, so, you know, it, it, it all comes down to efficiency. It's efficiency uh, with the capital structure that we are building as a society um, to make sure that uh, there are ways of storing value and communicating it over you know long periods of time and large spaces uh that can you know not be a, a drag on the product productivity gains that we would otherwise have uh, as we build society across the globe and, and tom i'm glad we sat on that point for a little bit because i think that lays the groundwork for you know and we don't have to cover this super long because we basically laid the groundwork but the, I think that explains the difference between Bitcoin and other protocols, right? Because as I, as 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 me as the novice understands it, the other protocols are just more decent, uh, more decentralized versions of the dollar, right? Which means like it's they're still super centralized. Like every other one that I've looked at uh, that has scale um, has a central point of failure. So it's like just the digital different version of the dollar with artificial intelligence embedded, <laughs> you know, automation embedded into it. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think you can kind of break up the other cryptos into a couple of different groups. And it's based on the problems that are purported to being solved. Bitcoin solves a very clear problem in the world uh, that we were just talking about, right? Sol- solves that store of value problem, solves the medium of exchange problem and ultimately solves that unit of account problem because it's perfectly scarce. And because nobody controls it, um, nobody can mess with the rules of that value communication protocol. Um, for the, the series of cryptos that are out there that are purporting to solve a similar use case, uh, they are more centralized. And because of that, the the supply of those things can be manipulated by single institutions. Um, they could be stopped by governments who decide they don't want to give up their money printing capabilities uh, and they want to shut down any kind of competitors there. That can't happen with Bitcoin. Um, and, and you know, there are a lot of these other cryptos that purport to say, hey, we can be faster than Bitcoin. Um, we can, uh, you know, have some other advantages uh, that Bitcoin can't have because it is optimized for security and for resiliency and for being, frankly, unchangeable, a protocol that you can actually rely on. Uh, and whenever you make tweaks to that protocol uh, and start your own thing over here, you're you're necessarily 
um, making a trade-off. And so that could be a trade-off in security for speed uh, or decentralization, uh, but all of those things have a cost that's associated with it. Bitcoin has this balance of these trade-offs that works very well, that has allowed it to grow into the network effect that it has and be able to transmit all of that um, that value communication uh, across the network and and build liquidity, right? Which ultimately you you is is the the golden goose, so to speak, for uh, for money. You need liquidity. You need a lot of people in your network to be able to do that. And in order to attract a lot of people, you need to have rules that people can can glom onto, that people can understand, and people know are not going to change, so that they can build on top of it. Yeah, no, the no, other no. group of of cryptos that are out there, really, in my opinion, are just not solving any kind of problem at all, or the problems that they're that they are purporting to solve are just very very minor, minor and trivial relative to this massive problem of store of value and medium of, of exchange, uh, and um, you know, turning off the fiat money printer uh, that Bitcoin is solving. So, you know, what what am I talking about? Putting uh, JPEGs of monkeys and rocks and stuff <laughs> onto a blockchain just so that you can say you you quote unquote own this digital piece of art, uh, which in reality is infinitely uh, reproducible. Uh, and also in reality, you really just own like uh, a pointer to that image that's stored on somebody else's server that you don't control. Uh, anyway, you, you see where I'm going with this, right? It's mm -hmm. it's uh, you're, you're pretending to solve a problem that doesn't actually exist. Um, but there's a lot of really good marketing that goes on around that. And that marketing can lead people to put money that they, uh, you know, probably shouldn't be putting toward these types of assets. Um, because they're, they're buying into that narrative because they haven't really done the work to understand the problems that Bitcoin solves and that these are not solving. Um, and because frankly, you know, the, these insiders that are creating these things uh, are very good at pumping them up, hmm. uh, holding on to a portion of the supply of those tokens that they can then dump onto the retail people who are buying these things during the mania, right? So it's really just pump and dump schemes uh, and you're at a significant disadvantage. So a lot of people will buy these things hoping that they're going to be the one in you know a million person who just catches this token as it goes up 30,000% in the course of three hours uh, and then being able to actually sell it at the right time. Uh, but in reality, that's that's just not what happens. Um, and then the last point that I'll say is, regardless of the merit of all of these things, uh, because they're centralized, because their supply is unknown and unknowable into the future, and because Bitcoin supply is perfectly inelastic and fixed at 21 million units over a long period of time, all of those things will trend towards zero in terms of Bitcoin. Yeah. So if you're able to trade them successfully and make a little extra money that you could buy Bitcoin with, go for it, right? But you're you're probably uh, very few and far between if you're able to do that. Uh, the majority of people are just going to bleed out relative to if they had just bought Bitcoin and held it for a long period of time, uh, secure it in the proper way so that you're not depending on anybody else. Um, 
but but just take a long-term view, right? This is a savings technology that you can use to hold on to your wealth in a way that doesn't bleed value like dollars do and like gold does and and like real estate does in a lot of ways, right? So um it's really about just kind of understanding those different perspectives and 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 it really comes down to understanding what problem are we trying to solve when we adopt this new monetary technology, this new monetary protocol. Yeah, no, it's and, and I won't go, I won't go physics nerds, physics nerd on it. But when I think about Bitcoin, it's it's weird how many Bitcoiners like uh, get into energy and understand physics. I'm like, yeah, Bitcoin's like a like once you understand how black holes work and how they just suck in everything else with less mass, you go, and then you can, and then you translate that into money. You go, yeah, like these these other protocols that that are uh, that have less mass, if you will, you know, uh, are not going to be able to escape the gravity of Bitcoin once the mind of the world is updated to the to what's actually going on. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and that, and that's just the individual yeah. process that everybody goes through, but they're going to get to the same point. That, that's such a good analogy, and one that's you know been used in the past. That Bitcoin is is kind of a a black hole of value. Um, and right now, to your point, the mass of Bitcoin is is still very small. You know, there's something like I don't know four or five hundred trillion dollars worth of assets out there. Um, some people have estimated like nine hundred trillion, and Bitcoin is is very small. It's it's half of a trillion there. Um, but people start to realize the value of it, and they start to say, okay, well, maybe I'll buy one percent of my net worth in Bitcoin. Look, my equity portfolio goes up and down by 1% every single day. So if this goes to zero, you know, what have I really lost? Like it's not going to change my life. But if the value of Bitcoin does start to absorb the value from gold and from stocks and from real estate, um, the sky is kind of the limit in terms of that because all of those things uh, and dollar, the dollars at the apex of that. Are completely unlimited in supply. So that massive amount of value and all of the future value that is going to be created over time by uh, you know, productivity that we have as a society, which I don't know if you've noticed, is absolutely accelerating, right? We're now starting to see all this AI stuff. Well, all of that future value, in addition to the current value that exists in the world, must be rationalized relative to 21 million units of Bitcoin. That 21 million cannot change. And so if you look at it that way, and you assume that Bitcoin will continue to have some modicum of, of adoption, even if it's not rapid, the value of, of Bitcoin in dollar terms and in the terms of all of these other assets that are out there and these goods and services that you want to be consuming, it must go up over time. Mm -hmm. uh, and probably it must go up very rapidly. <laughs> Absolutely, we'll 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 wind it down with a couple a couple of last questions, but that are super important um, for my curiosity. So, like once you once you go down a rabbit hole and you understand like what Bitcoin is, which I mean, most people probably won't understand it at the level of the nerds like you and I who are like in it understand it. But um, when I've seen people get it, um, then the, the, the you know, like you understand it, but then you go, all right, how are uh, there's still going to be businesses built, you know, capital needed, 
uh, other interests that we have for businesses that we we want to build, right? Because like we're human beings and we have other interests, and we like even though for the foreseeable future there's it's going to be really hard to save money outside of your own business and and earn better than Bitcoin. Like some people, you know, we're still doing it. So like, how do you see other Bitcoiners integrating Bitcoin into their overall financial plan? Right. Hmm. Yeah. I think, um, you know, the majority of the way that people are doing it is just by buying it with the dollars that they're earning. Mm -hmm. Right. There are, uh, you know, all of us are earning a living by, uh, hopefully, providing some like good value to the people around us and the communities that we live in. Um, and we earn, we earn dollars for those typically speaking. Um, and we can take those dollars and we need to store our value for retirement. Uh, we need to save for our kids to go to college. We need to save to buy a house or, or do other things that we want to do. Right. Um, and you have a choice anytime you are earning those dollars as to what you are going to use as that store of value mechanism. Um, and so a lot of us use uh, equities, a lot of us use real estate, uh, a lot of us use bonds uh, to store that value, uh, art, other collectibles and that kind of thing. Well, Bitcoin is another choice there. And so the question becomes, okay, if I understand that Bitcoin has some value and I decide I want to allocate some portion of my savings to that, well, what portion should that be? That's obviously an individual choice and individual decision, uh, the likes of which you are in a much better position <laughs> than I to uh, to help people with, right? But, um, but what we typically see is that people will say, okay, I'm just going to put a little bit in. Maybe it's 0.5% of my net worth. Maybe it's 1% of my net worth or 5% of my net worth. Um, then typically what happens is that people, once they've got skin in the game, they start to see it, they start to follow it, they start to understand it a little bit more. They start to get more comfortable with Bitcoin, not as a risk asset, but as a savings technology and something that, again, cannot be manipulated. Uh, and that is, is you know, in my opinion, pretty much inevitable to gain value over time relative to the other options that you have out there. Uh, and so as they get more comfortable with that, they start to get more comfortable with allocating a larger percentage of their net worth. So again, this is always a personal decision, uh, something I'm absolutely not equipped to give advice on. Um, but, you know, there's certainly a positive correlation between the amount that you uh, dig in and, and really understand what Bitcoin is and how it works versus the amount that you feel comfortable and convicted about allocating to that asset relative to your stocks and your bonds and your real estate and, and other store value assets. Got it. And, and one other thing that I want to point out that I think like a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, clients will ask me about, you know, my plan for Bitcoin and if I plan to sell and, and all this kind of stuff, and and I would and I and I say, hey, I don't, I actually don't ever plan to sell it. Um, you know, I, I plan to still build businesses and doing that, but I think it's going to be in the future as it appreciates. It's going to be good collateral on my balance sheet that I can borrow against. So, if if you don't mind talking about like the the borrowing, like the the collateral aspect of it, and like what you see the future of that, it's already available, or especially through Unchained. You know, capital, but um, you know, t you talk more about that. Yeah, Unchained does offer Bitcoin-backed loans. Um, 
you know, Bitcoin is uh, another asset on your balance sheet that you can leverage in different ways. Um, to your point, you could sell it for dollars. The way it's treated by the IRS is uh, that when you sell it, that's a taxable event. So there's a little bit of a drag there uh, that you can do. And so some of our clients opt for borrowing against the value of that Bitcoin using our Bitcoin backed loans uh, to gain that liquidity without having to incur that taxable event and sell their Bitcoin and end up with a, a smaller amount of Bitcoin at the end of that. Um, there's obviously some risk associated with that. As with anything, you know, when you when you buy a home and you borrow against it in the form of a mortgage, you are leveraging that asset and you're leveraging your income stream in order to gain access to liquidity so that you can make a purchase uh, or fund your lifestyle in some other way. Uh, so Bitcoin is no different in that regard, other than the fact that the properties uh, that we've been talking about this whole time actually make it extremely good collateral for borrowing against. Um, it is liquid, uh, very liquid, especially relative to real estate, which might take, you know, <laughs> a few weeks or a few months to sell if you were to need to do that. Um, Bitcoin is traded 24 seven, 365 all over the world. Uh, the price for it is extremely visible out there. And so you can transact with it at any time uh, and have a very um, liquid market in which to sell if you need to, right? Uh, so as a lender, if you are looking for an asset that you're going to take as collateral for a loan that you're going to provide, Bitcoin is great. It is volatile though, right? There, The price of Bitcoin does um, traverse a lot of ground uh, over the course of a year. And so you just have to be prepared for that and understand that over short uh, periods of time, you're going to see that volatility. And as long as you prepare for that and you um, you know go in with a mindset of understanding what you're getting into, um, it can be a real advantage to have this tool in your toolbox. All right. And here's my last question. It's just a speculative question. So I, I was reading this summer about the BRICS recruiting uh, uh, Iran, UAE, and Saudi Arabia. And I was like, hmm. Say, so, what are the top 10 energy producers? And I was like, damn, they got six of them. <laughs> you know, six of the 10. Uh, you know, with Saudi being the number one or two, depending on like how you cut it. Uh, and, and so I was like, uh, that is serious for like restructuring how we buy oil and what currency we use to buy oil. So are you are you are, are you thinking about that? Do you hear other people in the industry that's more tied in with finance talking about that? Because I was like, I was like, this is not a small thing, right? This is a, at least from my perspective, and I'm I'm a nerd in finance. I'm like, this is a signal. Like, energy is going to get priced into a different currency. It's probably not going to be the you know the the yuan because that's less trustable than a dollar. But I was like, it's going to be mm. something that needs to back, you know, global transactions. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely a significant development um, in really what is a long line of developments around a, a kind of deglobalization or decentralization of the global wor world order. Um, people, you know, there there has been a an advantage that the United States and its allies have enjoyed from the fact that they control the world monetary order, 
um, from the fact that we can essentially export inflation to the rest of the world. Uh, they are dealing with the consequences of it, and we get to enjoy cheaper goods that are produced elsewhere. Um, which you know we we've seen in, in a lot of this uh, hollowing out of our uh, manufacturing base here in the U.S. has been attributed to this exorbitant privilege, as it's often referred to, uh, of us owning and operating the world reserve currency. Um, and I think you know when we take actions as the U.S. to cut off adversaries from the financial. Uh, system that we have large amount of control over, like we did with Russia, uh, you know, a couple of years ago in this war with Ukraine, people take notice of that. And they look for ways of strengthening their position relative to the US um, so that they are not dependent on the whims of the bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. Um, that's really hard to do, though. Mm-hmm. The dollar system permeates everything. Hmm. It is the global reserve currency, after all. Um, you can find a liquid market for dollars anywhere in the world at, at any time. Um, you can't say the same thing about Egyptian pounds or um, you know, Venezuelan pesos or um, you know, any of the other currencies that these BRICS nations are working with uh, that they control. And so to pull yourself out, to extract yourself out of that system, that liquidity network, um, that protocol of communication that everybody else has bought into is very difficult and comes at a cost. And so what these nations are seemingly trying to do is to build up a parallel network uh, and create some leverage amongst themselves that will put them in a position to kind of break away from the the chokehold of the dollar system. Um, but I, but again, I think that's much easier said than done. Um, they've talked about having this uh, you know global uh, globally recognized um, asset that they can use as a communication protocol in gold. <laughs> but there's a reason that the gold standard, failed and that it, it, it just can't keep up with the um, the speed of transactions that are needed in the modern world. Um, and it can consolidate into people who control it. And none of these countries individually actually want to give up the control that they might have. So there's going to inherently be this conflict amongst them um, where they would like to agree on a system but then the question becomes, okay, well, you've got this parallel system, you're breaking away from the dollar. Well, who controls that system? <laughs> you know, if it's not going to be the US. Uh, and so uh, anyway, I, I think that's a long road ahead. Um, how does Bitcoin fit into all of this? I think this is the crux of your question. Um, Bitcoin doesn't have the down uh, downsides of gold, as we discussed, it doesn't have the downsides of fiat uh, and can be a neutral uh, a neutral currency, a neutral asset, and a neutral communication protocol of value across all of these different different countries. Um, we're already starting to see, you know, some countries out there adopting Bitcoin, getting into Bitcoin mining, leveraging the energy assets that are within their jurisdiction to gain access to a globally liquid asset in Bitcoin that nobody can stop them from 
transacting with. Um, that's really, really powerful. Uh, but it takes time for people to actually come to that realization, come to that understanding, and then to actually take actionable steps to start adopting that. Uh, and the fact that Bitcoin is so small relative to all of these other assets like a gold or like the dollar system actually makes it harder. There's some friction involved in the fact that you've got this very small asset that relatively speaking has very low liquidity. It's it's a very liquid um, you know, currency for you and me. But if you're talking about the scale of nation states transacting in it and large international conglomerates and corporations tra- transacting in it, it's actually quite small. Mm. And so, you know, there, there's a bit of a chicken and egg thing there where as people more, you know, across the globe realize Bitcoin's value, more and more people start adopting it, holding it, um, securing a, a portion of their liquid wealth in it. Uh, it becomes bigger and bigger. The value of it goes up and that becomes easier to for some of these other countries to actually adopt it and incorporate it into the way that they that they operate and the same thing for corporations uh so it's funny liquidity begets liquidity <laughs> the more the bigger bitcoin gets the more successful bitcoin is the more likely larger players are to adopt it and to incorporate it into the way that they work which makes it bigger right and then makes other players even more likely to adopt it this network effect is what makes money work um, if you if you earn if you earn dollars but you can't spend those dollars anywhere uh, around you, they're not really all that good to you, right? So that network effect uh, allows more people to to adopt it, allows more people to um, gain access to the benefits that it can give you. Uh, so that was really long winded way of answering your no, question. No, no, it, it, uh, it was it was it was it was a perfect way because it fits into covers it. It, it fits into like my, my my thesis. I kind of think of things in generational chunks, hundred year chunks, based on the generations that kind of are yeah. empowered. I think about the dollars, like the oldest generation. Then you had the euro that took a run at it, and now you're having the bricks that are taking a run at it. And now you you know oh eight oh nine birth this younger generation, this tech gener- you know the money of the tech generation. If I think of it in terms of economies, right? Because China led the bricks economy, but tech is the new economy and their currency is Bitcoin. So then it's just a matter of time, right? Generations die off, more generations get more money and the generation that has the money ends up setting the new monetary world order, but it's a long-term process. Yeah, if you're trying to replace a uh, a network effect like the dollar has that is so deep and liquid and widespread, you need to have a new technology come into place that is at least one order of magnitude better in terms of its properties and the benefits that people get from it. Otherwise, there's just not enough incentive for people to move away from this uh, this other system that they're embedded in. Uh, all of these other attempts around a BRICS currency or whatever, th- that's destined to lose to the dollar. It's just that, that that liquidity and that network effect is just too deeply ingrained in the world for something that is maybe marginally better, probably marginally worse <laughs> to take over, right? right. Um, but Bitcoin is that thing. Bitcoin does have an order of magnitude, at least better properties um, that people are going to start realizing over time. And as they do, they say, why do I want to use dollars? Like I can't send dollars to my family in in Europe instantaneously, right? Like that's a huge pain. It's hugely expensive, um, but I can send Bitcoin that way. Um, and so it's worth it for me to hold a little bit of that, right? Um, and so 
um, that that's how it's going to play out, in my opinion, is that Bitcoin and the dollar are kind of like the two last men standing and, and uh-huh. the grand battle of David versus Goliath <laughs> that that ends up playing out. No, yeah, a hundred percent. Well, th- thanks for sharing. Uh, let everybody know where they can reach you if they want to, uh, you know, learn more about Unchained. You know, book you for a speaking gig. <laughs> yeah, th- thanks, Philip. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it, was a, it was a great conversation. Um, so uh, I, I have a personal website. It's traysellers.com, You know, nice and easy there. Um, you can find me on Twitter at ts underscore hodl h o d l. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Just search for my name there. Uh, and then unchained.com. Uh, we help people hold their own Bitcoin in a way that has no counterparty risk to us or anybody else, has no single points of failure that allows you to secure the Bitcoin that you decide to buy um, in a way where you can't just make one mistake and lose it, uh, but you can still maintain full control over that asset and be in a position to securely pass it down to uh your your family if something were to happen to you or as as something happens to you in that inheritance planning scenario um and then we layer on some financial services as well right you can buy and sell bitcoin directly with us um you can borrow against it as we were talking about it and you can even hold bitcoin in a in an ira or a retirement structure uh, so a lot of people find us through that uh that product as well uh, so, you know, feel feel free to to reach out. We offer uh, complimentary consultations to help you understand what we do and how our process works and answer all of your questions. And then we just have a really great team to make sure that you feel comfortable, that you feel confident, that you get all of your questions answered and that you have somebody to turn to as you're setting all this stuff up and beginning that journey uh, with Bitcoin and then continuing on into the future. So thanks, Philip. I really appreciate the time. Thanks. I appreciate you. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.